but I would still read scripture every night, which is quite interesting, right? I would read the Psalms, and I would read different scriptures, and my thought is if I read scriptures before I went to bed, if I died at night, then I would be perfectly fine. That was my thought process. It was, I was tied up in religion. I thought if I worked for something, then I would get something. And the scripture was simply this. You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me. But you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. So I could recite scripture. I could tell you, you know, what Psalms 1 says. I could tell you different scriptures in the Old and New Testament. But I didn't know him. I knew the scriptures. I knew what the scriptures said. But I didn't know him. And until I met him face to face and saw him for who he was, I was in darkness. But when I saw him, not just reading the scriptures, I saw him. My life was transformed instantaneously, suddenly, like that. Going from being in darkness and having this veil over me, because remember, it talks about this idea that the veil, when you're reading the Old Testament, the veil still, but the, the veil, I always talk about the veil, the veil is removed in Christ, him. So, you know, Lots of stuff happened to Paul. And I just, <laughs> instead of reading, because there's a it's pretty lengthy scripture-wise, I just kind of looked up, you know, basically things that happened to Paul. People didn't believe that he was an apostle after all that he went through. Remember, Paul had the Torah memorized. As everything scripture-wise that Paul was written up until Paul, he had it memorized. And after his conversion, they didn't believe he was really converted. His message was rejected. He was beaten. He was stoned and left for dead. He was imprisoned. He was deserted by his close friends. Some of the believers that he was in charge of in discipling backslid. There was competition from other preachers with him. There was a lack of money and finances at times. There were plots to kill him. There was all these influence of other religions and the culture at that time and ideologies and all these different practices. He was persecuted. He was oppressed. He was shipwrecked. This is a child of God. You know, he's the one that actually floated on that piece of wood onto the island, on a piece of wood. So how does Paul survive all of that? How did he come to the place where he was content in all things, he knew him. Paul knew the scriptures. Paul had the scriptures memorized, but until he was knocked on his face by this Jesus and came to know him, him, not religion, came to know him, that's when his life was revolutionized, completely turned upside down. And remember, he's the one that ends up penning around two-thirds of the New Testament. The same Paul who is dragging Christians, going door-to-door, door, knowing Scripture, going door-to-door, door, dragging Christians to their death. He's the one, when Stephen was stoned to death, they threw the clothes at his feet, confirming that he was in charge of this whole thing. 
said he was moving and had blasphemous words and murderous threats. I'll get every Christian. I'll drag every Christian from their house. I'll kill every Christian. I'll... He had the spirit of the Antichrist. But when, uh, when Christ showed up, the spirit of Antichrist turned to Christ. And I want you to imagine what was going through Paul's head at this time because Paul had all the scripture memorized. I want you to imagine after Paul's knocked down and, and he's blinded, you know, there's a period of time then he receives his sight. All of these scriptures that he knew, the Holy Spirit started to unravel. Started to unravel. I always talk about the, the tabernacle of Moses and all that. And I just imagine the Spirit of God saying, hey, Paul, <laughs> you, you know, you remember, you remember the altar of incense? You remember the table of showbread? You remember the inner cart? You remember the Ark of the Covenant? You remember Aaron's rod that budded? You remember the Ten Commandments that were in there? Do you remember all of that stuff? They all point to me, Paul. All the scripture that is all up and inside of you. And he sees Jesus, and the Holy Spirit starts to unravel everything in him. No wonder he comes through all this stuff and still has the victory. No wonder, because he saw him. He saw him. And I think one of the reasons that God is bringing this message at this period of time is we need to know him. I'm not talking about the ability, which is important to quote scripture. I'm talking about knowing him. Because if you don't know him and then you're at a place where it seems like a dead end, it's useless unless you know him. I can know all the scripture by now. I got to know him. I got to know that the scripture that I know point to him. He's got to be my focus. He's got to be in front of my face. He's got to be the number one. He's got to be the centerpiece in everything that I do. So Paul's writing to Timothy. And Timothy is basically a young preacher, and he's having, there's all kinds of stuff going wrong. I mean, you know, you have these, <laughs> this picture of ministry and what the ministry is going to be like. And, you know, it's, you know, and Timothy finds him in this place where he's this young guy, and he's in charge of this church at Ephesus. And he's fearful, and he's crying, and he's upset, and he's wondering what, you know, was, was I really called, you know, and all this stuff is going through his head. And Paul's writing to him. And this is what he's telling him. He says, I, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus. I want you to listen to hear, to hear Paul's, when you study Paul's life, his focus is always Jesus. It's always Jesus. It's always Jesus. It's always, it's always the center. It's, it's him getting smaller and Jesus getting bigger. To Timothy, a beloved son, he loves Timothy. He says, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. And he's not just saying that. He's saying, Timothy, you're going to need grace, you're going to need mercy, and you're going to need peace. And he's literally speaking it. He said, I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience. Important to understand. As my forefathers did, as without ceasing, I remember you in my prayers day and night. He prayed for Timothy day and night, day and night. Greatly desiring to see you. This is the same Paul that a few years earlier would have taken Timothy and dragged him out of his house. Do you hear that? Being mindful of your tears, he says, that I may be filled with joy when I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. Important to understand. Your faith means something. Your faith means something to the next generation and the generation after. 
Your faith means the fact that you will stand in faith and believe this Jesus and who he is means something for the generations to come. Our actions and what we believe means something. He said, I am persuaded is also in you. Therefore, I remind you, he says, stir up the gift of God which is in you. So, so he, Timothy came to this place, or maybe he, his fire was kind of going out, you know? I mean, he probably had this picture of ministry, and all of a sudden he's got all this stuff coming against him and all these forces coming against him, and he's probably starting to question, like, is this worth it? And Paul says, hey, stir up the gift that's within you. I always think about when David said, I encourage myself in the Lord. There's going to be times, <laughs> there's going to be times where you are all alone and the apostle isn't there and the preacher isn't there and the prophet there isn't there and a friend isn't there and a family member isn't there, but you've got him as your advocate and friend who is there with you. There is no other religion in this world or will ever be preached that has a living, breathing Christ, the anointed one, who is at your disposal 24 hours a day. 365 days a year for the rest of your existence on earth. Tapping into him, he is your source. Paul's writing this prison. Paul's not writing this from a holiday inn. And guess what? There wasn't a 50-inch TV screen. There wasn't a workout center. The food was junk. He wasn't treated like a normal civilian, right? He was in a dungeon of all dungeons in the darkest of darkest place you can ever imagine. And he still has joy. He's still here encouraging someone in the ministry who's suffering. Someone in the ministry who is, just needs exor exhortation, needs encouragement. He's preaching this from a prison. Because he knows him. Stir up the gift which is in you through the laying on of hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear. That tells me, if he's telling Timothy that, that Timothy was afraid. But he's saying, listen, Timothy, God has not given you a spirit of fear, but he's given you a spirit of power and of love and of sound mind. And that word sound mind is translated into self-control. I've said this before, but there came a day in my life where I came to the conclusion in Christ that I control what goes on in my brain. It's called self-control. I'm not, I'm not subject to my mind. I'm subject to the mind of Christ. And because he has overcome sin and death, I can overcome anything and you can overcome anything. He says, I'll give you a way out of every trial, every circumstance. I will give you a way out. You say, well, weren't a lot of the disciples martyred? The majority of the disciples martyred? Absolutely. And Paul's the one that says, to live is Christ, to die is gain. I question myself sometimes, do I have that attitude? Do I want to stay here too bad? Or should my attitude be, if I die, it's gain? Because I know him. Because I know to be with him is a heck of a lot better than what it is down here. 
He has delivered us. He will deliver us. There is this before, during, and after. He's delivered us. He's delivering us now. And he's going to deliver us. Why? Because he's the beginning and he's the end. He's the alpha and he's the omega. He's the A and the Z. And whatever happens between B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P, Q, S, T, whatever happens in all those letters, I know he's A and he's Z. I know he's the beginning and the end. So whatever happens from the beginning of my life to the end of my life, he's in it because he's a living Savior. He's alive. (laughs) And we have access whenever we want. It's interesting because Paul says, I serve God with a pure conscience. You know know what stops us sometimes? You know what sometimes stops stops up our well? Is our conscience. It's interesting how many times it just says, you know, obey God. Don't go back to the old life. Don't get entangled by that sin again. Why? Because God wants our conscience to be clear. So he wants a clear conscience so that the Spirit of God who's speaking to our mind that we can hear him clearly. It's not clouded. It's not muddled. It's not mucky. It's, it's a clear voice coming. Lots of voices today that want to teach something or want, you know, the, 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 the times that we're in. It just seems like we're constantly being lectured about something. Listen, the person I want lecturing to me is Jesus. He is my teacher. <laughs> the Spirit of God is my teacher. And he says, I have not given, given you a spirit of fear, of power, and love, but of love and a sound mind. Therefore, he says, don't be ashamed. It's interesting because in this time, there was people that were with Paul and Paul taught that were now ashamed because he's in jail. He's in prison. I mean, if you can imagine this, so, you know, say Jeff ends up in jail. I mean, just use this as an example. Jeff ends up in jail. Well, there could be half of the people that just fall more in love with Jesus and understand that sufferings come, that understand that you get to know him. But there might be another part that say, boy, what did he do wrong? Boy, he misstepped. You know, because jail screams you did something wrong. So in this time, here's Paul and some of the people. Actually, it says everybody that was in Asia that he administered to left except for two people. (laughs) And here he is in prison. He says, don't be ashamed of the testimony of the Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. Oh, man, oh, man, oh, man. He is calling himself in a prison, the prisoner of God. He says, I'm not a prisoner of anybody else but God. Do you want to talk about somebody that understood that God was in control? We got to get it. We keep leaning on him. We keep searching after him. We keep moving towards him. We keep, and whatever happens is for the furtherance of the gospel. And he knew it. He knew it. testimony of the Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, the Lord's prisoner. He said, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. Suffering in the power of God. Where sin abounds, grace abounds that much more. 
Grace is always more. Grace is always over the top. Grace is that fountain that just keeps flowing and keeps flowing and keeps flowing in that well that keeps, and he just pours, keeps pouring out his grace and pouring out his mercy and pouring out his kindness and pouring out his love. And he's just saying, get, get, a, get a cup, keep drinking, keep drinking, keep drinking, keep drinking, keep drinking, keep drinking, keep drinking. Don't be ashamed, he says. Share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God who has saved us and has called us, called us with a holy calling. Yeah, not according to our works. Man, see, when I read stuff like that, the Holy Spirit does a backflip in my heart. Not according to my works. It's where it starts. It's the beginning point. Not according to our works, but according to his purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. He thinks of you. He not only thinks of you here now, it says his thoughts about you is more numerous than the sand that's on the shore. Can you get that? You think, does he think about me? Does he know where I'm at? Does he know who I am? There's nobody that thinks about you more than him. Not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ before time began. He was thinking of you not, not just now, before time began, you were in his mind, and you're in his mind now, and you're in his mind in the future. He's got it wrapped up. But has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has uh, abolished death and brought life and immortality, immortality to life. Here comes the light of the world. Breaks on the scene. And the darkness that hovered for centuries is broken with one lightning bolt. The light of the world through the gospel to which I was appointed. Listen to how Paul knows who he is. A preacher, apostle, and teacher. He's very distinct in telling them. This is, this is, this is, what, this is what I was called to do. Preacher, apostle, teacher of the Gentiles. For this reason, I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, it says, I am not ashamed, says it again, for I know whom I believed. Notice that Paul doesn't say, I know what? He goes directly to the source, and he says, I know whom. I know whom I believe. And he says, I am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed. Understand what he's saying here. Paul is saying, I have made a commitment to this thing. <laughs> he says, I am fully persuaded. He says, I am all in. I am fully surrendered. And because I know him, I know everything that I've committed to him, he's going to take and he's going to hold it and he's going to secure it until that day. That's trust. I mean, the message could have, could have been trust Jesus or trust God. It's trust. And I, again, I, maybe one of the reasons this is, I mean, it seems like the world is, is kind of crumbling around us. 
so to speak, and maybe we need to really start diving into this thought that we need to trust him more and more and more and more and more and more. I, you know, we talked about this years ago, before any of this stuff happened, that the systems and things that were in place and having to do with the government, having to do with whatever we thought was secure was going to crumble. And we said that the only thing that's going to stand firm is the kingdom of God. And that is the thing we keep pressing into and keep pressing into and keep pressing into. We do not put our faith in systems. We put our faith in this person, this God-man named Jesus. And I, he just keeps, you know, the anointing, the idea of the anointing is the idea of oil and it's the idea of just rubbing it in, rubbing it in. You ever put suntan lotion on, you put it on your skin, you rub it in. And they go, you keep rubbing it in, you keep rubbing it in, you keep rubbing it in. Well, this needs to get, we need to be sponges in this thing, just soaking in the trust, soaking in the idea of trusting him, trusting him, trusting him. He abolished death and brought immortality to light. But Paul made a commitment. He says, what I have committed to him until that day. And he says, hold fast the pattern of sound words. Can you hear? Hold fast the pattern of sound words because we can have patterns in our brain that are not sound. Many teachers are out there today trying to teach this and trying to teach that and trying to teach how to be a better person and trying to teach how do you work your way to the top and all, yeah, da, 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 yada, 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 yada. All these voices. The Spirit of God is one voice. Hold fast the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me in faith and love, which are in Christ Jesus. That good thing, <laughs> which was committed to you, and that, that good thing. You know, the gospel is good news, right? It's not bad news. That's good news. That good thing, which was committed to you, keep by the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, who dwells in us. This you know, that all those in Asia have turned away from me. I, that, that's a lot of hard work down the drain. They all turned away from me, among whom are Phagellus and Homogenes. The Lord grant them mercy. The Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus. I was thinking the other day with Phagellus and Hermogenes, how would you like to be them? Hey, are you, is your name in the Bible? Yeah. What for? Mm, let's not talk about that. The Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he sought me out very zealously and found me. The Lord grant to him that he may find mercy from the Lord in that day. And you know very well how many ways he minister, uh, ministered to us in Ephesus. If there's anything to take away from that, it, what we do matters. How we treat people matters. 
So Paul's faith is not focused on what he believed. It's focused on the person of Jesus Christ. The, the principle behind this is who you believe comes before what you believe. Who you believe. So this is much more than some religious spiritual path to live a better life. We're the only ones that have a living Savior who's active in our daily lives. No other forms of so-called spirituality or religion offer it. But Jesus offers it. He offers it. And you remember, Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? Everyone asked him that? What he did not say is, do you believe what I'm teaching you? He didn't say, what do you think of my teaching? He said, who do you say that I am? Because it starts off with believing that he is the only begotten son of God that came from the Father. That's where it starts. And in Paul's conversion, and if the musicians want to come up, it's interesting because, you know, after I, this idea of, all this is really revolves around Paul's life. But Paul's conversion is interesting. When you read through it, it's in Acts 9, it starts in verse 1. It says, Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he didn't care. <laughs> he didn't care. He wanted, he wanted them all. It's the spirit of the Antichrist. He wanted letters. So that if he found any who were of the way, they used to call it, they called it the way. Before they called them Christians, they called them the way. The way. Whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. This is a picture of God's mercy. It's a picture of God's grace. It's a picture of God, his loving kindness. <laughs> suddenly a light shone around from heaven. This is, remember, this is Paul who had the scriptures memorized. Still on his way, breathing murderous threats. But he has to see the light. <laughs> he has to see the light. He has to see the light. And suddenly a light shone around him. Then he fell to the ground and he heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he says, who are you, Lord? This is a door that opened for us to be here. This moment in time, when Jesus decides to descend on Paul and absolutely turn his world upside down and wreck everything that he thought he knew, who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus. I'm the one that the scriptures point to. All of this scripture that's on the inside of you, Paul, I'm the one. I think about when Jesus was walking with his disciples and he's teaching them and he's, <laughs> they don't even know who he is. This is that in-between time. And he's talking to them. It says he started with Moses and he worked himself all the way through the prophets, man. I want to know what he said. It's one of the things I think about, like, 
when this thing is fully manifested and you're, you can talk to them, I want to be like, tell me what you told me. Do you love the word of God? I pray that the love for the word of God would grow deeper and deeper and deeper in your hearts. And it would mean something. He's given us these love letters. I encourage you every day to get into these love letters. Knowing him and letting the spirit of God unlock another door in your mind, unlock another door in your spirit, unlock another, have another blinder come off. It happens to us all the time. We're still blinded to some degree. I mean, if we all were really to admit, if we weren't blinded to some degree, we would be in heaven. But we're here, but we're learning more and more and more and more and more. And we're growing in what the Bible calls the knowledge of him. And for me, that's all there is anymore. I pray if you're not fully surrendered in here today, that you just surrender to him. He knows what you're thinking anyway. He knows every thought. He knows every thought that you ever had. He knows every thought that you, from the time you woke up this morning, he knows it all. We don't, I can't hide from him. <laughs> Part of the reason why he messes us up in front of you, <laughs> which is always unplanned, is an example that he just wants openness. He wants surrender. He wants brokenness. He wants to stop being worried about how weak we are because he says, I'm going to come inside of the weakness. And when you're weak, I am made strong. Yes. So when we get into these points where we just feel broken and we feel exhausted, and we feel, he's like, perfect. Yes. He's like, this is somebody that I can work with. This is someone that doesn't think they know everything. This is someone that actually wants to learn more. This is somebody that actually wants to be molded. You know, we're still on the stage, we're on the potter's wheel. We're not some kind of fine finished china that God has put somewhere on a shelf and now we're sitting there. Now he keeps molding, he keeps shaping, he keeps turning, he keeps twisting, he keeps putting his hand here and hand there and hand until we come to this thing called the perfect stature of Jesus Christ, the full measure. And you know, I, sometimes I think about what this is gonna look like. What is the full manifestation of this salvation really going to look like when it's fully manifested? Because it says at this point we see dimly as through a glass. We kind of see through this fog. Even though the veil, even though he said it is finished and the veil has been removed, still we deal with the natural stuff and we deal with the flesh and we deal with these things. But I always, it's interesting because the Bible talks about there, this people that taste of the age to come. Not, not, not here, not, not this, but the age to come and what it's going to look like and what it's going to taste like and what it's going to smell like. And the most beautiful song you've ever heard, the most beautiful sunset you could ever see, the most beautiful place you could ever be on earth is not a drop in the ocean of what God has planned for his people when this salvation is fully manifested. 
this is the hope that we have that reaches behind the veil, the anchor. It's an anchor for the soul. The next thing Paul says is, what do you want me to do? <laughs> the one that was persecuting Christians now has been, his life has been turned upside down and he turns to Jesus and says, now what do you, what do you want from me? <laughs> and Jesus is probably, he's like, Paul, I can't lay everything out for you right now. Because if I tell you you're going to be beaten and left for dead, if I tell you you're going to end up in a shipwreck floating on a piece of wood to an island, and then a rattlesnake's going to come out of the fire and bite you, you're probably going to run the other way. I'm not going to tell you that you're going to be whipped. I'm not going to tell you. I'm going to let this salvation open up every day for you. Then Paul's the one that says, I'm going to die every day. <laughs> Our hope is in heaven. <laughs> Do you hear the age to come? The age to come is what we do. What we do. Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, "Arise and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do." And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless. <laughs> Listen, when you see the glory of God manifested like that, that's the awe and the glory and the honor and the. Then Saul rose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him to Damascus, and he was three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Paul encountered the living Christ. You all can stand. He's the one that said, But what things were gained to me, these things I have counted lost for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of him. For whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him. That I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. But I press on. He says I'm not already perfected that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. He says, brethren, I don't count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, I forget those things which are behind and I reach forward to those things that which are ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. For he said, I, I determined not to know anything, anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That is enough. He who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Sometimes we wonder, but see, he says, I got this. And we pray, Lord, right now, the prayer people want to come up, that your word has gone out. You, you're, you're, you said your word will not return void. I pray that your word that was planted today, the seeds that were planted today, they would be watered, they would come to full fruition. This idea of trusting you, we become such a reality to, uh, to us. We put our, we swing our feet out, we put our feet on the ground when we wake up and we say, I trust you, Lord, I trust you, Lord, I trust you, Lord. We go through the day, I trust you, Lord, I trust you, Lord. We put our head on the pillow at night, I trust you, Lord, I trust you, I trust you. 
We pray seal of this word. Lord, and we thank you that you're still moving, you're still touching, you're still ministering, you are alive. And we say, have your way with us, Lord. We come with open hearts and open minds and we say, have your way with us. Again, we pray for Pastor Jeff and his full recovery. And all those that are in here today that need a, need a personal touch from you, you know exactly what they need. You know exactly what part of their mind, you know exactly what part of their body, you know what system needs to be adjusted. And we speak healing, we speak life, we speak resurrection power, and we come against death because we proclaim that you said it is finished, you abolish death, you abolish sin and the grave, and we call those dead things to life. As Paul wrote to Timothy, he said, stir up the gift that's within you. I pray that there would be a stirring in the house, even now, a stirring in the hearts of your people, that any dead place, any place that is smoldering, would grow to a flame, would grow to a fire. We pray all of these things in your name. Your anointing is here to break the yoke, to break the bondage. And we thank you for all of this, and we pray this in Jesus' name, and we worship and honor your name in this house. Thank you for what you're doing, what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen.